0: Welcome to the next in a series of Ask a Chair podcasts brought to you by SAEM Rams.
1: We are here with Dr. Richard Wolf, the current chair of emergency medicine at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, a Harvard affiliate program. Dr. Wolf is also a member of the SAEM board, and when I talked to one of the residents that knows Dr. Wolf from interactions on the board, it came up over and over just how much you care about and are invested in providing assistance to medical trainees. Thank you so much for agreeing to speak with us today. Um, So getting to the first question, Dr. Wolf, what would you say is the single biggest change that you've seen in the field of emergency medicine over the course of your career?
0: I would say it's the change and the regular change in the pathology and mix of patients. Patients have gotten far sicker, they're older, They have far more comorbidities, uh, and the care we can deliver has become far more complex with greater depth. So emergency medicine has become more and more challenging, but in some ways with even more satisfying results. Mm -hmm. Um, It's caused the need to change training. It has recentered our focus in terms of academics. So it's a specialty that's continually in evolution and growing as the times change.
1: Have you found any specific changes in your practice pattern that have developed because of these changes that you've talked about?
0: Um, Well, the answer is you become in some ways more careful, more thoughtful. You're willing to accept accept a slightly slower pace than we did in the days where uh, the acuity and severity of disease were less and we were focused more on speed, Mm -hmm. occasionally willing to, um, you know, make an occasional error, cut too short, cut a corner a little too short. Mm -hmm. That nowadays, no, you're a little bit more careful, thoughtful, and you become, I think because of that, better diagnosticians. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, What educational challenges or challenges in general do you foresee in emergency medicine um, and the House of Medicine in general coming up over the next few years?
0: Well, we're dealing with the problem of wellness and resilience, Mm -hmm. which are two, uh, if you want, markers on each side. Wellness ensures that people will be in the optimal frame of mind to train, to learn, to grow as providers. Resilience means that we're giving them the skills and the toughness it takes to actually succeed in a rather rough environment where you need to be able to maintain a high pace You need to have this absolute commitment to your patients, so that your own fatigue and so on becomes secondary when you know a patient's interest is at stake. Um, That was easily achievable. The the resilience and the skill set was achievable when, in the old days, we had very long hours and very chaotic working conditions. Um, So, with duty hour change, with a number of things, we actually have much better environments in which to train, but in some ways we have less ability to kind of develop the the skills of speed and that toughness it takes Mm -hmm. occasionally uh, to push it through. The second problem that sort of adds to that is we're seeing a growing uh, number of ED crowding and boarding patients which really is actually the practice of inpatient medicine, mostly, rather than emergency medicine. Yet, the emergency providers have to pick up that care. So in some ways, it waters down the actual emergency training, which is what really builds up the pattern recognition and skills that are needed to be able to handle any sort of situation quickly. hmm
1: What are some of the, have you noticed any particular um, strategies that have been successful for you in overcoming those challenges?
0: Well, both for our attendings, but also for the residents, we moved our faculty to other added sites of practice in the community. Mm -hmm. And we've opened up urgent cares where we actually can practice speed Mm -hmm. uh, without all the problems of crowding and boarding and uh, sort of... uh, hassles that tie you up today in academic emergency departments. We've actually learned also how, using the simulator and novel educational techniques, to build skills in multitasking, to teach really good analytic thinking. Uh, And these were techniques that we didn't have 20 years ago, but Mm -hmm. that have had remarkably good effects at getting our residents up to speed and far more sophisticated uh, in shorter periods of time.
1: Mm -hmm. So you mentioned working in different practice settings. Do you think that going forward residents and medical students becoming residents should expect to work in many different settings to pick up all of the different skills that they need to be successful providers?
0: So I'm highly biased because our residents, for example, rotated eight different sites. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what I had experienced in Denver and I remember the effect it had in terms of my own skill set. So it's mm-hmm. something we we functionally sought out for our trainees. Mm-hmm. I honestly think, if if I were going back, one should look for that. If you train at a single site, you're going to learn one type of pathology and one type of practice. Uh, And you're not going to build a a number of the skills that allows you to walk into any emergency department or situation Mm -hmm. and adapt immediately. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not something you will necessarily see, but it's something I think you should look for.
1: Um, This next question comes from Shana Zucker. She is a second-year medical student um, from Tulane University, and she wants to know if a resident or student wants to succeed in emergency medicine research, what quality should they look for in their training program?
0: So if I were going to assess it, the first is to measure, if you want, what the productivity is. And it's looking at the residents and the students that have done research in that department, how many are there? Mm -hmm. Um, What authorship position were they given, Uh, and then sometimes what have they gone on to do afterwards? Did it Mm -hmm. really train them in research skills to the point where they then were able to become successful academicians? What it takes to do it, but it's hard to assess from the outside, is really very good senior mentorship Mm -hmm. and an investment in the, the students and residents not simply in terms of uh, their clinical training, but also in making them true scholars, uh, and in you know both inspiring them, showing them why research is actually exciting and fun, as well as giving them the tools and uh, the sort of awareness of how to succeed in
1: it. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond the need for mentorship that you touched on, is there any other sort of institutional support that you think is necessary um, that applicants should look for in a research program?
0: Well, that's true more at the faculty level where people will create seed grants and will have packages and have, if you want a whole mentorship support system or rather control system to make sure people are progressing and can learn the skills. Residents and students, the primary focus of any department is first and foremost to provide them with the clinical skills to succeed. Because a basic rule that we've all learned is the first step to academic excellence is clinical excellence. But if you're in a department where the faculty are supported, in other words, there are C grants for the faculty, there are various forms of faculty development in terms of courses, added training, where you have research assistants and, and basically cadre that are there to facilitate and support and make the work of research easily, well then, the students and residents will be pulled into the wake of Mm -hmm. the young faculty and will get that support that they need. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, As a department chair, what qualities do you look for when you're hiring um, teaching versus research faculty?
0: Well, you tend not to separate it out as much as ask yourself the question, what's this person's passion? How much do they want to succeed as an academician? Do they have a focus? And succeeding in academics, a good way to look at it is you want to, at some point, be able to tell a story. And the story usually starts, I saw the following or experienced this, Mm -hmm. and I was upset by this or I felt that there was this big gap in knowledge that I wanted to help fulfill, and so then I went and did this and that and so on. And That can be an education. It can be Mm -hmm. a feeling that there would be a better way or a novel way to teach. Or it can be in research that you feel that there's a clinical area that has a whole or a public health issue that needs to be tackled. But it starts with having a passion and the focus to want to chase after that passion. Now, every department is a little different. And when a chair is picking education versus research versus operations, it's a little bit like the coach on a football team looking at his depth and saying, where do I need more depth? Do I have enough educators? And if I'm thin here, well, that's where I'm going to prioritize my recruits, Mm -hmm. mainly from an operational administrative standpoint. Do I have enough grant funding and enough publications? If not, then it looks like my research bench isn't deep enough and I need to hire somebody in that. But when you're assessing someone, it's, again, it goes back to that focus and passion that really matter.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, another part of that question, and I think I may already know your answer a little bit based on what you just said, um, but do you always look for someone who's a triple threat that can do all the things, or do you look for someone to focus more on a particular niche?
0: So, you're always happy when they can do many things, but the truth is being equally good at many things creates a risk of distraction. Mm -hmm. That you all, that you do too many different things, and then it's very hard to tell the story. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, you don't want anybody who has a glaring weakness in something they're going to have to do. So if they have major deficiencies in clinical skills or major deficiencies in educational skills, even if you're bringing them on as a researcher, that might be a reason to pause. You can't Mm -hmm. afford somebody who only has one incredibly strong skill but liabilities in the other. So they have to be at least solid in the the other areas.
1: Mm -hmm. Can you recall any um, recent or memorable hires that you have had that really demonstrated what you're saying really well?
0: Um, Both in positive and negative? Uh, Sure. Um, Recent, not as much. I've been doing this a long, long time, so Mm -hmm. you get good at sniffing out the problems. In terms of the good things, oh, absolutely. There are people that have come, and I knew they were focused, but marveled me by really diving in and um, both writing and and sort of being able to have the discipline and passion to really chase after things themselves and build mm-hmm. it so you're really more running to catch them up and throw support after <laughs> they pave the way so that happens it's not always predictable you it can go one way or the other mm-hmm. but absolutely uh there are times where people will just astonish you
1: mm-hmm. Um, Do you have any particular advice that you would like to leave with our residents and medical students who are listening?
0: So it's while realizing emergency medicine is going to be a challenging specialty and going to demand a huge amount from you and that, you know, the future looks like it's going to get tougher before it gets easier again. That said, there isn't another specialty anywhere where your patient population is the vulnerable patients, the ones Mm -hmm. where we probably have the most, uh, the strongest duty to help, to support, and to protect. Where the challenge you face diagnostically you're the most thrilling. You Mm -hmm. will be more of a master diagnostician in emergency medicine than I think you can in any other specialty. And honestly, that's one of the reasons why a lot of us went into medicine in the first place. And finally, To be in a specialty where you feel comfortable taking care of anything thrown at you anywhere is, for, and I can say for somebody who's approaching the end of their career, one of the more satisfying and thrilling uh, skill sets uh, to have as a physician. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, In addition to your work um, in your department, you also obviously have some national roles um, with the SAE and board and, You've been around for the um, the beginning of the RAMS, the Resident Medical Student Society. Do you have any thoughts or advice for medical students or residents who are trying to get more um, involved in the national or kind of the, the global emergency medicine scene?
0: So I would say RAMS, from a timely standpoint, is a unique and fantastic opportunity. First of all, it's based for the first time out of the one society that Prizes, academics ahead of everything else, and really in, some, in, in many ways cherishes students as the future academicians of our field. And getting off on the ground floor is always the best. Having mm-hmm. started also two residency programs, I can tell you the first classes had the best experience mm-hmm. because you're very, you're, you're very quickly into a senior role. Mm-hmm. You're very quickly defining and not only being in an organization, but building one that's going to last the test of time. Mm-hmm. So I'd say right now for a student and resident, that's a golden opportunity.
1: Mm-hmm. Excellent. Anything else that you would like to um, impart to our listeners? I know that they really deeply appreciate kind of hearing from the those that have kind of built the specialty for us.
0: I'll just say that you're living and will be living some absolutely wonderful years. That uh, I immensely enjoyed my residency training when I went through with it, and. To be, you know, starting out in the field, particularly at this time where we are doing it a lot better than we did uh, Mm -hmm. 30 years ago, is just, you know, a wonderful time to be alive and practicing medicine.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, sir. I really appreciate it. I know that our resident medical student listeners do as well. Great.
0: Thank you very much.